This is Hard Parking, brought to you by Wright Honda and Wright Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Of course, I am your host, Jay Finning, recording from my home studio in Gilbert, Arizona. Coming up on today's show, uh, an excellent conversation with a gentleman named Brandon out of Tucson, Arizona. You may know him as Tuxon Speed, T-U-X-O-N, spelt purposely like that. Find out why in the episode. One thing that's amazing about Brandon, and if it wasn't for Chris Cram, another guy in the car community from down in Tucson, also has a YouTube page. But if it wasn't for him, then this conversation wouldn't be possible because Brandon has such an amazing story, an amazing underdog story that just needs to be heard. And it's one of those cases where, unfortunately, he's not the standard. He is the exception. But hopefully through hearing of this story as he talks to other people about it, that becomes a standard. And you'll find out what I mean coming up after this word from Four Wheel Online. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Four Wheel Online. For over a decade, Four Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so we'll get outfitted today. So visit them online at Four Wheel Online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's Four Wheel Online, the number four wheel online. Brandon, you know, known as you know, Tuxen Speed on YouTube, Nine Line Media. Welcome to Hard Parking. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. We had been chatting a, a little bit in uh, in DMs and stuff like that. So I'm glad that we were finally able to to sit down and kind of go over some things and and hopefully be able to, you know, use I guess my story or whatever we talk about today as motivation or or provide hope for for other people, right? So Absolutely, because we were introduced by Chris Cram, who hasn't been on my show, but he's been on, you know, my friend Wes's show. Yep. Um, I'm always down to talk to, you know, local car people, people that have a story, as we kind of talked about before. So we want to get kind of get into that. And you're down in Tucson right now. Yeah. So initially, so I grew up in uh, in California, moved out to, I would say, like the East Valley of Phoenix back okay. in like 2000, 2001. When I moved out here, I was a sophomore in high school. Bit of a rough transition uh, coming from, you know, growing up, going to school with the same people and right. and, and then just kind of getting dumped into uh, into Arizona in the heat in the middle of the summer. But then uh, I would say, shoot, going close on five years ago now, I moved out to, to Tucson, Arizona, and we can kind of get into why I made that transition. But uh, five but yeah, years. So, yeah. Okay. Five years, man. So yeah, we have a lot of stuff to explore. You know, it hasn't always been easy for you. Tell us a little bit about your your humble beginning. Yeah, so I, I kind of want to preface this with the fact that by no means do I have life figured out. Um, of course, and I, and I'm still I'm still working it day by day, just like anybody else, right? Well, I can kind of gloss over my upbringing, but like I said, grew up in California. Right. Um, I had a, I mean, I grew up in an area where. I think my 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 mom tried to put us in an area of town where she felt the most comfortable, um, and that was probably a little bit out of her budget. So it was like we were living in in a nice area. Uh, however, like it was never a matter of of having like money to to do things, mm-hmm. or we didn't have we didn't have the nice stuff like the neighbor kids did and and stuff like that. So that's 
that's kind of where things started. And, and funnily enough, and, and, and I'll touch a little more on this later, but, um, one of my first things that I did as a kid was going around to neighbors' houses and offering to wash their cars. So I would be able to have some money on the side. So that way I could go like when my friends were going to like their parents would take them to Disneyland and stuff like that in California, uh, their parents would take them to Disneyland and I would have some, some extra money to, to be able. And I, and I started to doing that as shoot, I want to say like younger than 10 years old. So very early on, I kind of found this entrepreneurial spirit with, within me. And, uh, it's kind of funny because it's almost come for a full circle, but like I said, I'll, I'll get back into that. Uh, so I grew up in California, um, around 13 years old is when things started to get kind of rough for me. 13th birthday, uh, my mom sat me down in the morning and she was like, Hey, um, I just want to let you know that Mark, who I thought was my dad and, and the man that has been raising me up until I was 13, uh, she, she let me know that he wasn't my real dad. Um, and as somebody that was kind of transitioning from being a boy into, you know, growing up, going through puberty, all those mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. that was, that was, that was hard. Right. So 13th birthday, she let me know that. And she also let me know like, Hey, I met your real dad last night and we're going to go see him this morning. So it was like a super, super awkward thing as a 13 year old that just found out about this information. Meanwhile, it's my birthday. Like things are supposed to be cool. I'm finally a teenager. And, uh, and yeah, so that was uh that was a little bit rough to to kind of go through that. And then once Mark, like I said, the man that that was raising me and who my mom was married with, they got a divorce and he found out that that I now had met my real dad. So he kind of Oh, he didn't know. Yeah. So he didn't want and after that he was like he didn't really want to have anything to do with me and that's that's hard to deal with too. You know, he's my he's my younger sister's biological father and he was still in her life and kind of put me by the wayside. At least that's the way that I felt uh, as a 13-year-old, right? Right. Um, they got a divorce and my mom started writing a guy that was in prison uh, in California. He gets out of prison and they're instantly like together. He's he's essentially living at our house. How old were you when this happened? So uh, this was still like right around within the same year, right? 13, 14 years old. Oh. So like, it was just like a whirlwind of events, like sure. one after another, right? Um, we decided to make the move to Arizona. He ended up coming with us. And then it was just like a matter of, you know, I, I felt like as a child, my mom was choosing this other man over her, over her kids, right? And it's and it sucked, right? So that's where like the rebellion the, the really not caring about mm-hmm. anything kind of started. It's a dangerous and, uh, age. It's a volatile yeah. age. Yeah, man, for sure. So I came out here, moved to, moved to Phoenix. Again, started sophomore year in high school out there. Up until that point, I, I did fairly well in high school or in school in general. Uh, freshman year was good in California. Then transitioning to sophomore year and all this stuff happening over that, that, that summer. I didn't... I, I guess I just didn't really care. Like nothing, nothing really mattered anymore. So ended up dropping out of high school. Uh, my mom sent me to a military school on Queen Creek. I graduated from that. So that was a a place where I stayed for about six months with the, and I think that their, their goal was to kind of, kind of take these young men that have gone through some traumatic stuff and, and um, kind of bridge the gap and kind of meet them where they are and, get them prepared for uh, adulthood. Right. And, and I think that that was, that was something that was good for me. 
And can I ask I you my, something? Yeah, yeah, definitely. How did you feel getting shipped off to Queen Creek, which is you know right down the street from me? Just for people can kind of paint the ge- geographical uh, image. It's all still Arizona, but mm-hmm. that's two hours away from you know Tucson-ish. You know, how- well, so so I wasn't in I wasn't in Tucson yet. So oh, okay. You're oh, you're in still, East Valley, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're still but here. still like back then there was nothing out in Queen Creek yet. Do you know what I mean? So it was, oh, I know. It was, it was still <laughs> it was still like kind of a barren place. Um, right next door there was a boys' school, and it, and to be honest, it was it was just like another parent giving up on me. You right. Know, like that's what that, I was that, wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but funnily enough, like even throughout my my like that period of time. I was still obsessed with cars. Um, I very vividly remember having like a a 1987 Cadillac Brome that I spent hours and hours like polishing the paint of this car. It was white. It was like perfect. It had like 30,000 miles on it. Um, It was great. Uh, But when I graduated the military school, Mm -hmm. I started getting into drinking. I played around with with cocaine, Mm -hmm. things like that. And it was just kind of a point to where I, I didn't really have any direction, you know, like I, I had developed some discipline. How old were you at this point? Uh, at this time? Um, this was, so I graduated in 2005. So I was like 16, 17 years old. Mm, um, yeah. Oh yeah. So like be, between that time period and, and the time that I turned 18, like I really didn't have much going on. Like I was doing like, call center jobs that I would maybe mm. hold on to for like a month or two max because I was just, I just wanted to go do whatever I wanted to do. Right. I had no sense of responsibility, nothing. And something else that, that has been a challenge to deal with was, was growing up. I've always been, I've always been the fat kid, right. I've always been heavier set. And, uh, which clearly you're not now the people right, don't know listening right. to this, but yeah, you're pretty fit. Right. Right. Yeah. So that that's that's been kind of part of my journey too is is figuring out all that stuff and um so i'm working these jobs and one of my one of my best friends at the time um was like hey man why don't we just join the military and i was like well i'm probably too fat to get in the military so i need to figure all that stuff out um we met with some recruiters he ended up joining immediately and kind of leaving me leaving me here and for i don't know maybe this is probably when I'm like right at, right at 18, uh, I started working with a recruiter and we would, he would pick me up from my house every, every single morning and take me to the gym. And, uh, I lost enough weight to, to pass MEPS and, and get into the army. Um, but much like, much like everything in my life up to that point, I had quit or failed and I that followed through into the military. So I joined the, joined the army as an infantryman, uh, finished basic training got to my duty station in Kansas. And again, you know, things back at home weren't going my way. So my, my grandmother was, was somebody that, that I had developed a close relationship with after the things kind of happened with my mom at an early age. And I kind of developed that, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it hatred, but there was just like, a like I didn't feel great about our relationship together. Um, so I kind of leaned into my grandma being that, that mother figure that, that she wasn't anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm in Kansas at my first duty station and my grandma passes away. And mm. then, uh, yeah, I just kind of started turning back to, to alcohol, taking sleeping pills and, uh, yeah, things got really bad for me. Uh, and again, like 
I had just, I had lost enough weight to get into the military, but I was still the fat kid in the army. Right. So like that's being in an infantry unit, that's, that's still, it's, it's kind of hard to deal with. You're still getting bullied. You're still getting made fun of all, all the time. I had no place being in the shape that I was in trying to perform the job that I was trying to perform. Right. Looking back, like I can, I can see that, but you know, hindsight's 2020. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm dealing with the, my grandma passing away. Um, I wasn't able to, to, to be there for that, um, which was heartbreaking at the time. Um, and I wasn't equipped with the tools to be able to, to deal with that. So for me, mentally, it just wasn't a good place to be in. Um, that was actually the first time that I tried to kill myself. Mm. Uh, so was drinking, taking sleeping pills, ended up texting my mom or, or calling my mom and, and saying goodbye and doing all this stuff. Um, I don't remember it. Uh, but if that's any indication of, of kind of where my headspace was at, then, uh, then yeah. So she ended up calling my first sergeant at the time, got into, uh, seek some mental help. Uh, they put me in a mental hospital for two weeks to kind of evaluate me, which was again, like this crazy experience. And over the course of the next year or so in the army, um, I ended up getting processed out. It was still an honorable discharge, um, but for, for mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I look back on it now, it was an excuse, right? Um, is that the army it, giving up on you? Cause I mean, you have like this mental string of people just kind of giving up on you and I can identify with that a lot. There's some parallels going on here, but at the time, is it, I'm glad I'm out or, you know, screw them. I, they don't want me around either. Or what was going on in your head? I, I would say it was, it was kind of a mixture of, of both, right? Like, there wasn't any like, Hey, we're going to help you get through this. It's just like, Hey, this is what you have. This is what's going on. And, and, uh, See ya. yeah, we kind of got nothing for you. Um, which sucks. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so, so I got out of the military. I happened to find a, a relatively good job uh, at bank of America. I was a, or a foreclosure portfolio manager doing something completely out of the realm that I've ever done before. And I tried to, to step off on the right foot. Um, when I came back to Phoenix from Kansas, uh, I got an apartment with a buddy. We ended up getting a house and I was working. I was being a productive member of society. Things felt good. And then I started seeing a doctor. Uh, I had some back pain going on. And of course, being really overweight all my life, of course, I'll probably have some back pain. Um, the doctor started prescribing me Oxycontin. Mm. And... By no means should I had been prescribed the the level of or volume of of medication that he was prescribing, and that just that was the gateway, right? That uh, that opened up everything for me. Um, so not only was I taking these 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 pills, but I also realized that it was a substantial side hustle that I could sell some of these pills and and be able to make a ton of money to supplement my income that I was working for at Bank of America, and. It just got to the point where I was taking more than I was getting rid of. Um, sure. And then my prescription would run dry before the month. And then I was having to figure out other things because now I'm dependent on this opiate and I get sick when I can't have it or when I don't have it. And that just, that just led me down the, uh, the probably the darkest path that I think that I'll ever go down. Um, but it went from taking pills orally to trying to smoke them off of tinfoil um, mm, mm -hmm. to, to then heroin and then to IV use of heroin. So injecting heroin into my, into my arms, right. Track marks, all that stuff. And then it led to methamphetamines and 
all this stuff, man. And it was just, uh, I couldn't get out of it. All started from uh, opioids and a mental state. Right. Yep. Right. But, but in reality, it's like, and, and it took me some time to figure out and to, well, like when I was in recovery now, it's like the substance abuse was just a mask of like the real underlying problems. So for me, I had to go back and, and deal with all that stuff. Right. Because it's, I never had a chance to, um, but yeah, so and what now is I'm that? using and, and um, what was, was that? And then what's, well, a couple of questions, you know, what was yeah. that? And you know, what's going on in the world around you, the people around you? Yeah. So I think what, what, what that was is, is kind of all the stuff that, that I brushed on when I, when I, when we first started, right. All the stuff that happened to me as a kid and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, holding grudges against people and, and all these things, right. Just, it just tore me apart. And that was my way to cope, right. To, to, to mask all those feelings and to, to run away from all my problems, because that's the only thing that I knew how to do. You know, yep. I was never, uh, you know, I never had a, a positive real male role model in my life, you know, after, you know, 13 years old after Mark and, uh, right. And, you know, here we are, but to, to get to your point, you know, after, you know, when, when I'm starting to use the, the people that I surrounded myself with were the people that were doing the same thing, right. They're not friends, but we had a mutual, um, interest in making sure that we could get high on a daily basis. So that's, those are the people that I surrounded myself with. It got to the point where I was trying to produce fake prescriptions. Um, so I'm somewhat computer savvy and I use that, uh, I guess in that circumstance to my advantage. And what I would do is I would just get on Photoshop and Photoshop a, a fake prescription and print it out and take it into Walgreens. And they would give me Oxycontin, a bunch of them. Right. So now I just had, I had this, this way or this hustle to, to be able to, to get pills for free or, you know, whatever it costs for a prescription and I could turn around and sell them. And then now I have, now I have money to support my heroin addiction. And, uh, and that's what I did for, for some time until I got caught. I was going to say, is that, is that what ultimately did you in? Uh, so that was the first one. Yeah. Oh, so okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it gets worse. Uh, so I ended up getting arrested for, uh, for forgery for mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I ended up doing a year in prison. Um, so out in Florence, Arizona, I, I did a year there. And during my time there, I did exactly what I was doing on the streets, still hanging around the wrong types of people, uh, you know, trying to be a part of the prison politics, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, uh, I was getting high in prison still. It's it's just as readily available as, as it is on the streets. Just costs a little bit more in there. So I would do, like while I was in prison, I would do like little side hustles in prison, trying to make some some commissary so that I could support my habit in, in, inside prison. Um, getting close to my release, like towards the end of that year, I decided to to like, okay, well, I should probably get my stuff together before I get out. So I started working out, started to go to AA meetings, things like that, got clean and uh, wanted to get out and, and kind of step off on the right foot. But I didn't have a plan, right? I just, I wanted to do do better. Was it scary? It was, man. Um, like like that day is coming. Life was shit going in. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do when I get out? Right. Yeah. And all along this process too, I would say, so, so. 
I was doing pills with my mom too. Um, so mm. my mom, my mom is still currently in active addiction. So she picks me up and, and I paroled back home, which I knew was not a good idea just because I know my mom and there's, there's some codependency there because mm-hmm. I know that, that she still uses and, and blah, blah, blah. Right. So we get to, we get to the day that I'm getting released. Um, I get released from prison. She picks me up. Um, we stop at like a circle K on the way home. And she's like, Hey, do you want anything? And I was like, sure. You know, just give me like a Gatorade or something, or maybe it was an energy drink. Right. Um, and she comes out and she has like a tall can of Bud Light and she's like, here, you, you deserve this. And then she pulls out two Oxycontin and she crushes them up on her center console, snorts one. She's, she said, here's the other one for you. And at the time, like I didn't have enough clean time under my belt to, to be able to say no. Um, right. Again, no tools, just just trying on a hope and a prayer that I was going to figure it out and, and be fine. I mean, and, but uh, look, I mean, to be fair, for people who have never been in situations or have never gotten anything, they're going to be like, what the fuck? But to people who have been in those type of situations, it's hard to say no anyway. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, of course, I, I didn't say no. And, right. uh, and I, I ended up rolling home. I tried to get a job at Goodwill, and now that I have a, a felony conviction, I couldn't get a job, and they said no uh, because of my record. And that was that was my answer. That was like, oh well, if I can't get a job, then I'm just going to go back to knowing what I know to do. I know I can make money doing, you know, selling drugs. So that's what I started doing immediately. And it was about so I, I got released on December the 13th, so right around Christmas. Couple of days later on Christmas, um, some old friends. So my my long term friend growing up, the one that joined the military with me, or around the same time, uh, he was home on leave. So we got together, went to the bar. Again, I'm on parole, so I'm not supposed to be drinking. I'm not supposed to be at bars or anything like that. Um, we meet at the bar and we get drunk, and I end up getting into a bar fight. And it turns mm-hmm. out it was it was the owner of the the bar. So everything, of course, was on on camera. Um, I think I punched him once in the face and did some damage and then got thrown out of the bar and then just kind of brushed it off. Like it was a bar fight and continued to, to do the dirt that I was doing day to day. Actually that, that same night I met a, I met a girl and, um, she, she hadn't used or anything like that before. And I brought, I brought her into that life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, I think I looked at her as sick as this sounds. I think I looked at her as a tool to to be able to fuel my addiction or another resource that I could get money from or, or something like that. You know, looking back on it now, which which is shitty to say, but that's just the reality. It is the reality. Um, so we're you know we're doing that, and I, I think maybe six months later, I get a knock at the door from. Chandler PD uh, was detectives from the homicide division and it scared this shit out of me right. uh, because they were like, Hey, do you know why we're here? And I was like, homicide? Uh, like I have, I have no <laughs> idea why you would be here. Right. Um, and uh, so I ended up going down to the station with them. They explained to me like, Hey, we got you, you know, uh, you assaulted this guy at the bar. You know, we have everything on video. We have eyewitnesses, all this stuff. And I was like, cool. You know, I'm, you have me dead to rights. And so I got booked into Maricopa County jail again. So this is for the, the second time. 
and I get put in maximum security jail, uh, which is not fun. So it's, um, I don't, I don't remember the exact way to have it, but you're locked into a two man sale for, I don't know, I want to say like 20 hours of the day and you get like four hour window. You can come out and walk around the, uh, the unit. So let me ask you this. So the homicide guys were there just to kind of bring you in. There was no like. Correct. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I mean, it still scared me. Right. Right. Uh, it was, it was crazy. Um, so I'm in, I'm in County jail. So he pressed charges, the bar owner. Correct. Because he yeah. could. Yep. Yeah. So my charges was aggravated assault to commit serious physical harm, uh, which is a F2 felony. Um, and just to put that in reference, uh, murder is an F1. Uh, it's a fist it goes, fight at a bar. Right. right. And then that's one of the, <clears throat> I, so I used to, you know, work security at bars when I first moved to Grand Rapids up to assistant manager and the police, they were just chilling outside the bar. They knew fights were going on, people would get thrown out and all they care about is making sure people don't fight on the street. They just, eh, this guy's drunk, this guy's fucked up. They'll watch people wobble, you know, wobble away from the bar. Right. Well, I think, <clears throat> I think that they, they knew kind of the life that I was leading. Right. And, sure. uh, and, and look, 13 days prior, I had just gotten out of prison. I was still on parole. This guy's got um, a rap sheet. Let's just yeah. get him off the street. Yeah. So, during the during the time when the the fight actually happened and the time that I got arrested um, with the with the girl that I was seeing, we were actually doing a, a, a lot of like what you would consider like organized retail theft. Mm-hmm. So she worked at a at a grocery store, and I would go in and and I would steal a bunch of products, and then I would come right back a couple hours later, and then I would return those products for cash, and then right. would be able to to go buy drugs and supply us for the day. Right. So we we did that. I did that every single day. For, for a long time for months and months and months and what's that was the, what's the term for that retail uh, uh organized retail theft is, is i yeah. think what they call it yeah because i mean I'm, I'm i'm considerably older than you 47 mm-hmm. and um that's been a thing for probably decades probably 100 years it's just i just didn't know what the title was because we've all known people who work someplace that might look the other way or yep. cash, cash out and meet in the back and here's your half here's my half interesting yeah. So that's what we were doing to, to supply our, our drug addiction. Uh, but so I'm in, I'm in County jail. I go to court and the first plea that they give me uh, was 10 to 15 years. So that's a plea agreement. If I plead guilty to these charges of 10 to 15 years, uh, because I have historical priors, I was still on parole. Um, and this is like an aggravated violent crime essentially is what they were charging me with. But not the retail theft like that. No, no, no. That's one of those things. Okay. Yeah. People get away with stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it scared, it scared the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. uh, If I'm being honest, like Mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was thinking, I I don't know. I don't know if if I'll ever be able to see my mom again. Like that, that, those are real numbers that, uh, that's a long time, man. Well, it's crazy because it's not like, I mean, sure. You punched a guy. I mean, you got in a bar fight. So what? But it's not like these are violent crimes are out there just i don't know it's the in, i'm not saying the justice system is messed up obviously but to not really know you well but to know what you're you know what you're up to now it's like we could never even have the opportunity yeah yeah it's uh it's crazy man and, and it it's it's crazy the majority of people that i meet now and then and if i have an opportunity to share with them my story they're like it, they're in utter disbelief right just because of the life that i lead now which is cool to see. 
But I'm in county jail for about 60 days until I can get enough money pulled together to bond myself out. So my my bond was set at $25,000 and in Arizona, you have to come up with 10% of it and then you can go through a bail bondsman to get mm-hmm. out. So it took me it took me about two months to get $2,500 together, bonded out and was going to try to fight the case because, you know, anything that I could do to, to get around the 10 to 15 year charge is, uh, is good. Right. Um, so I ended up fighting it for, for like a year and I'm still doing the same stuff, right? Still still using every single day, just showing up to court when I have to. And my, my final plea, the one that I, that I took was two and a half years. And that's what I did, right? I, I took that two and a half year plea and turned myself in and the the first day that I was back in county jail, getting ready to to go to prison, I made a commitment to myself that that I have to do whatever whatever it takes to to make sure that this never happens again. Because if it does, they're for sure going to hit me with double digits, no matter right, what, right. no matter what I do. If uh, if I get in trouble again, like that, that's it, man. And I didn't want that to be it, you know. And how yeah, long ago yeah. was this now? Um. So that was in like 2016 uh, when I first went in. So you you uh, got out when? I got out in 2018. But I think such a large component of, well, first, you know, prison 100% saved my life. 100%. Um, and if, if it weren't for that experience and some of the other men that I met there, then we wouldn't be having this conversation today. I'd, I'd either be doing a life sentence or I'd be dead. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. So I, I, I get to prison and again, like I know prison, right? I, I've been there before. I've, I've done the, the typical sentence that everybody else does and just continues to do the crimes that they were doing on the streets inside of prison. And uh, I knew that that's not how I wanted to do my time this time. It started with just surrounding myself with like-minded people that, that didn't want to make prison a career, essentially. And uh, I met a really good mentor. His name was MC. Uh, or well, that's what we just we called him. His name right. was Shane Corliss, and he was he was teaching some classes on the yard of just how to be a better man, and that's where it all started. I was taking classes every single day. I was reading. I started working out. So when I got into prison, I was three hundred and thirty-five pounds. When I got no out, no shit. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, and I can even send you my uh, some some pictures that will probably blow your mind. But <clears throat> but yeah, so. I did this thing while I was incarcerated called men in recovery. And it's something that has impacted me till this day. And it just, it, it was, it was the the catalyst that helped me explore all those childhood traumas that, uh, that I was, I was self-medicating for. Um, so I was able to, to deal with all of those work with work through all those things, understand, um, you know, that a lot of those things were, were not my fault. Um, and that it was other people's problems. Uh, I just happened to be, uh, you know, a, a part of that picture. And, and I don't want to to claim any kind of victimhood or, or anything like that. But that was just that was just how it is. And, and I came to terms with that. Right. I was able to to go through and, and forgive, forgive uh, Mark, the guy that raised me. Mm-hmm. I was able to forgive my mom and deal with all that stuff and so, set healthy boundaries for for myself. Right. So I did that. 
Um, and my focus was just being 1% better every single day. And if I can do that, and if I can win every day, then my hopes was that by the time that I get out, I'd be a completely different person. And that's exactly what I was. So one day in prison, we were, or somebody was coming in to speak. Uh, his name was Danny Howe. And he was just coming in to share his story. And he ran a halfway house here in Tucson. And I don't know, like something just spoke to me and said, I need to, I need to stay in Tucson. I can't go home. And I need to go to Danny's halfway house because his message re resonated with me so well. So I get out, I go directly to his, and, and I get out with $200 to my name, no clothes on my back because nothing fit me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So I get out with, uh, with a couple hundred dollars, was able to pay for the first week halfway house. And uh, while I was in prison on the yard, there was a company that had a call center on the yard, as crazy as it sounds. Um, it was called the Hometown Hero Project. So they would they were essentially like a marketing company. And they would have inmates call local businesses, real estate agents, things like that, and try to sell them ad space for like TVs that are up in, in VFWs. Um, and like restaurants and stuff like that. So they can put their ad on the TV, right? Yeah. Hmm. And and I didn't work there at all. And a couple of days, or I would say a couple of weeks before I got released, I seen the owner walking on the yard of the of the business. And I just went up to him, shot my shot, man. Like I was like, hey, I, I know I've never worked for you, but you know, I will be the best employee that you've ever had. Um, I will show up on time, I'll do whatever you need me to do. He's like, Oh, well. Funny enough, I need I need somebody that can do graphic design. He's like, can can you do graphic design? Do you have any experience with that? And I told him yes. Um, and I didn't have any mm -hmm. experience with that at all. Uh, but I knew I was going to figure it out. So I got out and I had a job, which is huge. So I was making thirteen dollars an hour mm -hmm. and uh, you know living at the halfway house, taking the bus to work here in Tucson. And uh, you know if I show up the first day at work, he's like, okay, I need to do this. And uh, what I would do is on my bathroom breaks or, or lunch breaks, I would go and I would watch YouTube videos on how to do what he asked me to do. And I would go implement that. Very stuff. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so like I was just, I would just self teach myself how to do what I was doing. And, uh, and yeah, it was just working out. I felt great. I was able to, to get my license back. I bought a car. I became like the, the house manager of the halfway house. So I didn't have to worry about paying rent. I just had to make sure that people were doing like their chores and, and stuff like that. People were in by curfew and, and it was cool, man. It was a, it was a, it was a nice setup, and uh, it gave me, it gave me, uh, like that sense of responsibility that, that I never had before. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get to your redemption story. Yeah, definitely. So let's get to your uh, redemption story. So you're basically running this halfway house. So, so yeah. So I'm at this halfway house. A couple of days after, a couple of days after I got out, I actually. Uh, I met this woman that I'm, I'm still with now and we're getting married here next month. So less than Congrats. 30 days. Yeah, man. Um, and w when I first met her, I was brutally honest with who I was and my backstory and, and what I'm trying to accomplish now and, and the person that I am now. And, um, and again, like she didn't know, she didn't know the old Brandon. So I'm grateful that she took the uh, the leap of faith and and kind of um, hung around for for where we are now because I think that 
we've both grown a ton over the past five years and things are great, man. But I'm working at this marketing company doing the halfway house stuff. And I got to thinking like, man, I just taught myself how to do this on YouTube. What else can I do? Right. What, what other, since I was so good at hustling the bad stuff in my past life, like what can I do for good, but still maintain that same like hustle mentality. Uh, so I started watching videos and what I started doing was selling books on Amazon. So after work, I would go to local thrift stores and I would scan a bunch of books that I could buy for a quarter. And then I would turn around and sell them on Amazon for, for like $25, $30. Right. Right. And that's what I was doing for a long time. And it, and it supplemented my income. And then I got to thinking, you know, I'm working at this, this company, I'm making $13 an hour and sure it's a job, but not a lot of money. Right. It's not a lot of money. And I think that I could probably run the business. I could do what he does, but I could probably do it better, right? Because there just wasn't too much focus on customers, like mm-hmm. customer satisfaction, things like that, and getting like actual results for people in terms of marketing. So I started researching about starting my own business, and there was somebody else that that had had actually worked for for the company that I knew uh, from Phoenix. Uh, we were in prison together, and he was. He got out of prison, was on the right path too. He's working for the company as a sales guy on the phones out in their Phoenix location when he got out of prison. And, you know, I just was like, hey, I think that we could probably do this better. What if we were to start a business? I'll do all the back end stuff. And at the time we were thinking about doing like websites and ads and things like that for clients. And I was like, why don't you just focus on the sales? And I think that we could come to uh, come to make some a decent living for ourselves. So that's what we did. So I started building this business while I was working there, kind of just under wraps, not very much, not really talking about it. The business partner ended up getting fired from the company and on his way out, he was saying, you know, hey, me and Brandon are working on this business and we're going to take over, <laughs> which is crazy. And um, the next day I go into work and the boss calls me in the office and he's like, hey, I, I got to let you go. You know, you're, you're essentially trying to compete with us. And he's like, I, and I don't think that you're going to be successful. And I use that as, as motivation to uh, to make it work. Um, it didn't work out with the business partner. Some things happened. Uh, he stole some money from me or so like from the business account. So I had to go through the process of getting him off the LLC and, and the bank account. And that was a headache, but we got through it. So now my back is, is up against the wall and I have to make it work, right? Now I have bills. I have rent to pay. I have a car, I have insurance, um, all that stuff. And uh, that was really... I mean, it kind of lit a fire in my ass and that's when things got really exciting. So I kind of nailed down exactly what did I want, what I wanted to do in the marketing business. And uh, I decided that I was going to get really good at running Facebook ads for local businesses. And I, I landed a phone call with a company here in town. Even they have, they even have some trucks out in, uh, in Phoenix, uh, but the, the, their name is steamy concept. So it's a carpet cleaning company. Okay. I was able to to sell them on, on my services. Yeah, yeah. I was able to to sell them on my services, and uh, that's kind of what sparked everything for me. So he became my biggest advocate because I was able to to crush it for him and and explode his business just with running Facebook ads for him. And he started recommending me to to other carpet cleaners. So that would that be kind of became my niche, my niche 
uh, was carpet cleaning and developing ads for carpet cleaners specifically and helping them grow their business. And uh, yeah, it got to the point where I think in 2021, we did, I did just shy of seven figures uh, by myself, no employees. And it was crazy, man. Like uh, I'd never had that type of money before and I didn't know what to do with it. It kind of led me to how do I how do I make this money? Because it's just sitting in a bank account, right? How do I make this money go to work for myself? Right. Um, and I got into I, got, I started doing some things in the stock market, trading options. Uh, then I jumped pretty headfirst into crypto, right. and that was right right around the height of the of the bull market in 2020 when COVID was going on, and I was able to to accumulate you know a ton of money and be able to have sufficient capital to to jump into this next business venture that uh that i'm jumping into now currently Um, ask you a quick question about crypto yeah definitely you think bitcoin's ever gonna how is it ever gonna recover to that incredibly large amount of like sixty eight thousand? um i I mean i personally believe it it will um maybe a while right yeah yeah but I, i think it will i think that like the the overall macro environment with what's going on with the US dollar and things like that I think that mm-hmm. I think that we have some rough times ahead but but I think that it will recover yeah. and uh that shit was insane yeah. yeah 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 I mean I I I de-risk a lot since the market has has been on the um the down sure like and it, it's recovered a little bit but right yeah but still, I wanted to protect that the capital that I was able to make during that time period. And during during this the last couple of years too. So I know that I mentioned when I got into prison, I was 335 pounds. Uh, I told myself that if I could keep the weight off for five years, then I would have uh, like the the surgery to remove a lot of the excess skin. Mm-hmm. So I had that done. <laughs> that was a headache to go through. Uh, uh, and I, then, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that done. And then during my recovery of that surgery, I was like, I want to, I want to do an Ironman. Uh, so if you're, if you're not familiar, it's, uh, it's an Ironman triathlon, swim, mm-hmm. bike, run. And I ended up completing uh, an Ironman 70.3 down in Tempe in 2021. Um, so that was, that was a huge thing for me. And that's just part of who I am now. It's just being like setting these goals for myself and making sure that I can accomplish them because in the past, I'd never set goals for myself and I had kind of quit on everything that I've done. So now I try to to make sure that uh, not only am I setting goals for myself, but I'm checking boxes too and, and making sure that they're they're completed. If you could go back and tell you, not even go back, but can you just imagine, could a, could a 2016 version of Brandon ever even imagine killing an Iron Man? Absolutely not. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Like, I don't want to do a basic charity 5k run. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I did that shit once. I'm like, okay, that's it. Yeah. So wow. d- yeah, definitely not, man. Uh, definitely not. But, but again, that's, I, I still live like nothing changed when I got out of prison. Mm-hmm. Like sure. My surroundings changed, but the way that I live my life, I wake up every day at 4 30 AM. I read, you know what I mean? Like I do, I have a very set routine and that is what I believe has allowed me to be successful because it's those little wins day by day stacked over a long period of time that, that have gotten me to where I am today. That stability um, also in your life of your yeah, man. fiance. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because I don't hear uh, any of that in, in the past. Right. 
No, there, there was never that. Um, so her and I, and this is kind of funny. So we, we were dating when I was in the halfway house and I could have just moved in with her. But for me, I wanted to, because I'd never had any responsibility before, right? I've never been on my own. Like I'd always had like roommates and stuff like that, or lived with my mom, even, even as an adult. For me, it was a box that I needed to check to make sure that I had my own place outside of the halfway house uh, before I committed to to living with her. Uh, so that's what I did, yeah. uh, and I ended up I ended up renting out this place, and it got to the point where I was just you know I was just staying overnight with her on the weekends, and then it got to like every other day, and then sure. finally it was like okay, well I just move in. Uh, so I did, and she had a house, and, and funnily enough, it, it was like literally five minutes away from the prison that I was released from. Uh, it's just, it's that, just kind of crazy how everything works. Yeah, it kind of keeps you at bay, huh? It's like, yeah. yeah. Um, talk to me about your, this, this detailing company. Yeah. So, I mean, part of owning this marketing company that I have now, it's like everything that I do is, is from my home. Like I, I just, it's, everything's on the internet. I can work from home. I don't need an office or anything like that. Uh, but now that I was, financially stable and I was able to purchase some pretty cool cars and stuff like that. I was running out of garage space at home and I was like, well, what if I just rent an office space? It's a, it's like a tax deduction. And then maybe have like a, an area in the back where I could maybe set up like a wash bay to be able to detail my car because, you know, here in Arizona, it's, it's a pain, right? In the summer, it's hot. You get water spots, all this stuff. Mm -hmm, for sure. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to do. And then I was like, well, what if I want that? And I'm sure that there's other people that would probably want that as well, right? Just to be able to have a place where they could come take their car indoors, be able to wash it themselves, have access to like high quality equipment, all that stuff. Something um, that's not going to break the bank because to me, that sounds like something that maybe the high rollers would do, but then they wouldn't really wash it themselves. They would just drop it off. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I started, I got on YouTube and started to see if anybody else was doing anything like it. And I found this company called the Bays out in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, and they had just started, they were, they were, there was a guy on YouTube. He was documenting the the process of them getting their location. And I kind of followed along their journey for a couple months. Um, and then last year I finally read out, reached out to him and was like, Hey man, like I'm very interested in doing something similar. Uh, would you be interested in me paying paying you for your time so we can sit out down on a Zoom call and, and I, we can just kind of go over how the experience has been for you so far? Uh, so that's where it started. And, um, you know, I, I met with him um, a couple of times. Super nice guy. He was totally, totally open to, to sharing how things went for him. And he was like, hey, we're thinking about franchising. And I was like, well, cool. You know, like I'm all over that. Uh, because I'm either going to do it myself or I'm going to do it with somebody that's already done it before. Sure. Uh, so I flew out, I flew out to Chicago, checked out their location. So they have two locations out there and uh, it was a great experience, man. And and it's exactly what I, what I kind of envisioned in my mind, a place where, where you can go and, and it's, there's kind of like this sense of camaraderie too. It's just a guy's a bunch of guys hanging out, washing their cars and join, you know, it's like a cars and coffee on steroids. If, if that makes sense. It does. Um, yep. So we out to Chicago, checked things out, and was like, "Yeah, man, I'm I'm definitely open to um, to franchising," and that's kind of where we're at now. I'm actively looking at properties. Went went, went and checked one out yesterday. Um, 
got the LLC set up, all that stuff. Um, so just kind of like finalizing some of the the small details, but but yeah, man, because and and it's funny to to come full circle because like I said in the beginning, this was something that I was doing as a child, you know, door as to a, door, as, right, right, going door to door, asking people if they want their cars washed and just washing them in their driveway, um, learning how to to take that money that I would make and invest that back into like the quote unquote business to buy more products, to be able to offer different services and things like that. So I had things figured out as, like from an entrepreneur standpoint, um, or I had that, that vision, uh, or that passion from a young age. And they just kind of like rolled into my life as an adult now. And yeah, man, things have, it's just so crazy to, to look back and think of all the stuff that I've, I've gone through all the stuff that I've put myself through to now where I'm, where I'm at today. You know, I just bought a, I just, we, me and my fiance just bought a house out in Vail, Arizona. I, I would imagine, I, I consider myself a successful entrepreneur. You know, I've been doing it for, for a couple of years now and, and hope to continue it and, and build more businesses and bring people along with me for, for that, that ride too. But yeah, man, it's just been, it's been wild. It's been, uh, it's been crazy. Well, that's fantastic. I have a few follow-up questions for you. Uh, first off, thank you for sharing that journey. Hopefully people find inspiration here. They should, yeah, uh, because, yeah. you know, let's talk about your YouTube page and then I'll get to some more deeper questions about it. So tell us about your Tuxin, yeah, <laughs> as Tuxin, we talked about so, earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was explaining to you earlier, so since, since I was, I've never lived in Tucson up until, you know, five years ago, uh, I always called it Tuxin. And so that's what I, that's what I named the, uh, the YouTube channel. That's my Instagram handle. So Tuxin Speed, T-U-X-O-N Speed. And, um, it's just something that, that I started as a, as kind of a hobby and like, look, I haven't been doing it very long at all. Uh, but it's something that I really enjoy doing. Uh, but not only that, but it's, it's, it's allowed me to continue to learn how to do things. Like I didn't know how to record video, um, you know, being gone away from society for so long, like smartphones and everything has progressed sure. so crazily fast, man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, just the YouTube, I'm just kind of like documenting my build. So right now I have a 2023 M3 mm -hmm. and I've just been kind of doing a bunch of stuff to the car. And like I said, documenting that, uh, before that I had a, a gen five Viper, uh, before I saw that. That I had a, yeah, before that I had a, 2019 uh, ZR1, which is, if you know about Corvettes, it's pretty rare, king mm -hmm. of the hill type car. Um, but yeah, man, and I've just kind of totally immersed myself into the car culture here in Tucson. It's not like it is in Phoenix, I'm sure, but uh, but it's something I enjoy going to, to Cars and Coffee every Saturday, meeting people, uh, getting to know them, getting to to hear their story, what they do for a living and all that stuff. And it's it's something that I'm super passionate about. And, and that's that's why I'm I'm so excited for this next business and uh, and building that out, right? So going because to the get, cars, why do you? Yeah. Um, it sounds like you've had these cars and you don't have them very long. Yeah, yeah. You build, you know. I mean, I don't know what you would have done or needed to do to that ZR1, but I know yeah. that you know you built the shit out of that Viper. Mm -hmm. um, you're currently your BMW. I'm looking at it right now, and I've watched the videos. You know, you're building the shit out of this. You know, where do you think that comes from? making up for lost time? I think so, because even as a kid or as a young adult, I, I think that those things were so far out of my reach mm -hmm. 
that I, I I didn't like it was it wasn't it wasn't for me right it it was for other people it was for successful people and I wasn't that person mm-hmm. yeah um but I always had a passion for them you know what I mean like I had the Lambo posters on the wall as a kid you know like even growing up when I moved to when I moved to Phoenix uh, I was in Ahwatukee so that's a that's kind of like a, a wealthier neighborhood but it was a, still the same thing right like we would struggle to make ends meet granted we were living in a nice part of town. It was like all my friends that I went to high school with for for that year, uh, they drove really, really nice cars to school. Um, and, and again, it was just like something that was always out of my reach. But now that I can be able to afford myself those types of things, uh, I'm able to, to lean into that and, and really enjoy that, if that makes sense. It does. Um, with regard to having the record that you have, Mm-hmm. from a job aspect you know how frustrating was it you know coming out and i would assume you probably tried to do or applied for a few jobs and they just wouldn't give you a second look or you already knew at that point what's the point i have to find something else to do yeah um it, it is man because even even right now as like even where i'm at in life right now it would be hard for me to get a job at like circle k or something like that let alone get like find housing, right? Like I can't go rent a house from somebody. I can't go rent an apartment. Like sure. There's, there's certain places I can go, but those are usually in the the not best areas of town where drugs and everything are are rampant there anyways. Um, So yeah, like that, that's kind of a crazy thing, but I feel like, I feel like I got used to, or at least, you know, this new person, this new Brandon got used to being told no, and I use that as motivation now. Sure. Like when somebody when somebody tells me no, it's like, okay, well, watch me. Exactly. You, you know what I mean? Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or I would say like last month, I went back into uh, the federal prison right up the street and was able to speak and share my story. Um, and that was one of the goals that I set for myself while I was incarcerated. And I have it written down on, on a book still that, awesome. that I look at occasionally. It was like, Within the first five years of my release, I want to come back to prison not wearing orange and be able to to share my story. But you have so to make that. sure you had success to do it, and you're fucking killing it right now. Exactly, exactly. Because I knew that if I could get clearance to come back in as a felon, then I would do I would be doing the right types of things in my life, and it, and I'd be on the track, right? So I got to do that. I've got to go back twice now. So first time I went to the maximum security federal prison and spoke to. I don't know, about 20, 25 people. And then I went back a couple of weeks later and went to the the medium custody unit and got to speak to about 50 to 60 people. Um, and that was such a, such a cool experience, man. And this is, this is exactly why I reached out and wanted to, to come on the podcast and just be able to share my story. Right. Because I seek that, that fulfillment from doing that. And also too, I feel like there's a moral obligation to helping other people because if it weren't for the people that helped me along the way, then again, like I, I wouldn't be here. You right. Know? There's an interesting dynamic in our culture. And I don't know, I don't think there's any way to necessarily remedy this, but you are one of those people that are leading that charge to hopefully change this at some point. But getting housing, buying cars, getting a job, you know, people see convicted felon. And it's not like if you see a misdemeanor, okay, what was your misdemeanor for? Oh, I broke, you know, criminal mischief. I threw a rock through a window. Oh, okay. You're cool. Right. Mm -hmm. 
or you broke into a car or you you know you stab somebody but in a bar fight right but when they see felon it's automatically this is a bad guy this is a bad person you can't trust this person and i think that's the wall that so many people hit and it's probably easy for them to just completely give up and was there a point in your journey where you're like fuck this is it's not going to get better or were you just so determined to turn it around where it just didn't phase you um i would say that that after my my second incarceration when i got out and like even now nothing like that will phase me uh just because like i i know like i i believe in myself now sure you know um and, and sure like people are going to have their opinions and that's fine and sure it does make it harder if you're wanting to succeed as a felon or or somebody that has a criminal background right but at, but at the end of the day like those are things that are out of your control, right? So for me, even now, I just focus on the things that I can control. What can I control? I can control the things I do on a daily basis. I can control what I put in my body. I can control how often I work out, all those things, right? I can control how I choose to interact with people within the business, all that stuff. You can't control if I choose to judge you because right. you're a felon, former, you know, I, facts, yeah. 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 Which I don't. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but. no. And and there's and there's there's plenty of people that that operate under those um, Oh well, there's a lot of people. I would say the majority of people are gonna right. judge you before getting an opportunity to even know you. But it's interesting too because there's a lot of people that either have been to prison um or have a family member that's been to prison or is currently incarcerated. So it's not like it's not like it's something that's completely foreign to to a lot of people. I just think yeah. that it's easy. It's like the societal norm to just turn those people by the wayside if they have uh, mm-hmm. like a, cr- a criminal background or something like that. But and and here's the thing, Jay, is like the way that I did my time the second go around is probably the way that one percent of the total pr- prison population chooses to do their time. Right. Right. The the, the thing that we if hear that. most right. The thing that we hear most often is that people. Uh, people get out of prison and they go back and then they just make a career out of it. Right. They're out for a couple months or a couple years and they go back and their, their sentences become longer and longer. And then, you know, before they do it, they're doing um, a life sentence on an installment plan. Right. And those are the people that you hear about. You don't hear about the people because there's so few of us. You don't hear about the people that get out and be successful, uh, let alone like want to get out, be successful and then pay it forward uh, and, and, and speak up about, the, the things that they've been through. So, well, I've uh, enjoyed your story. Hopefully, everybody else uh, has as well. How can we get a hold of you or we just follow Tuxen? Tuxen, spelled T U X O N, is on purpose because when you try to say the word Tucson, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. how it's phonetically, you know, right, it looks right, like right. Tuxen. So, yeah, man. Um, you could shoot me uh, while I'm on Instagram um, at Tuxen underscore speed. You know, I'm happy to, to chop it up, talk with anybody. Um, on YouTube, same thing, Tux and Speed. And yeah, man, uh, I'm also going to be document. I'm trying to like document the journey of of starting this business too, and and kind of building it because it's completely different from some from anything that I've ever done, right? Like I'm I'm sure I've built a business, but it's all online, right? Building a, a brick and mortar company is a completely different monster of uh, challenges that that I'm going to have to tackle. But uh, but I'm here for it, man. I'm ready. I see a book in your future. Yeah, you know it's funny because somebody just asked me about this the uh, the other day. Is like, why don't you write a book? And I, w- I would love to. I think at least at least in the like the online business space, there's so many different types of like 
business coaches or life coaches who don't really do this stuff. Like that's their main source of income is that they're a coach. So like, I want to shy away from that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And I want to like, sure. If there, if there becomes a time in my life where I can set aside the time to, to write a book, um, then that's something that I would love to do, but still I want my focus to be on, on building the things that I'm passionate about and just giving back value to people without expecting anything in return. If that makes sense. It does. Brandon, thanks for your time. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. And we will meet one day. I, I, I need to come down to Tucson Cars and Coffee. I'm about nine years late on that. Yeah, I need to come down to Phoenix <laughs> because I, I hear they're all the rage, man. The, it's so much bigger out there. And like here you see like the same couple of cars every weekend, right? It's just, it is what it is. But, uh, but yeah. Cool, man. We'll talk. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brandon. I want to thank Brandon for joining. So we had that conversation probably 45 days or so ago. He has since got married, just like he said, which is awesome. He's also picked up a second vehicle. So now he has two BMWs on his channel. And again, that's Tuxen Speed on YouTube. Really good content. He has a lot of passion. I wish I, I had that much passion for my YouTube. I just don't have the time or the, it's really the passion, right? I'm, for a guy like that, you can't, I can't really say something to a guy like that and saying, I don't have the time because that guy is on it. You know, not only did he transform himself physically, but his whole mindset. And a guy like that, 100 miles an hour in the right direction, endless possibilities. And I don't think we see enough of those type of redemption stories because that's what that is, is a redemption story. We're so quick to judge people. And this, I'm not trying to come across all preachy, but I think we're really quick to judge people when we find out they've had a little controversy in their past. And I meant what I said, when you... When you meet somebody or you hear about someone secondhand, they're like, oh, well, he's been to prison or she's been to prison. They're a felon. They're this. They're that. It's like, okay, well, they're automatically a bad person. And sometimes they're not necessarily bad people. There are bad people out there. There's a lot of bad people who've never been to prison, right? To be fair. So give them a chance. Sometimes people just need a second chance. Sometimes a third chance. Sometimes a fourth chance. But your first interaction with them, your second interaction with them, you know, you have to take that as they are. When people show you who they are, believe them. And so a lot of the people early in his life probably believed he was that person because at that time he was that person. But now he's the guy that you just heard on my podcast. He's the guy that you watch on social media. He's the guy who came out of prison, worked extra hard, and has built through advertising almost a seven-figure salary or seven-figure worth of income, and he's starting other things as well. So the sky's the limit for a guy like that, and I'm, I'm happy that I was able to have him on the show. And I look forward to talking to him again. Let me know what you thought about that conversation. And, of course, that conversation and all conversations are brought to you by Cell Shop Wireless Services. Cell Shop is an Arizona-based retailer that strives to be your destination of choice for wireless services, whether Arizona, Washington State, California, Texas, and Florida. They're authorized AT&T dealers, so visit them at cellshop.us and get connected today. Also want to thank Wright Honda and Wright Toyota, as well as Four Wheel Online, Patreon business supporter, Kuya Automotive out of Winter Garden, Florida, Pell Construction out of Catalonia, Michigan, Big House Small Home Design, Ashburg, Virginia, and Traverse City, Michigan. Westgate Exotic Cars and Rentals. I plan on doing, uh, Glendale, Arizona. I plan on doing an episode from there soon. As soon as Drew picks up his Z06, within weeks, I should be making the trek across the city. It's like an hour away to do that. Also, Shaping Success with Wes Tankersley out of Boise, Idaho. 
you're in a position to help the podcast upgrade, I know I say this every week, but I mean it. Join the Patreon for as little as three dollars a month. That's patreon.com forward slash hard parking podcast. Special thanks to Mark Stolman, Catherine Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Grays, Byron Jones, Bo Jung, Alice Kamina, Drew Bunkley, and David Garner. If you're interested in picking up a podcast shirt, guys, go to hardparkingpod.com. Pick up a shirt, pick up a coaster. That merchandise helps the show. That merchandise makes me feel like there's value in what you're listening to. If you have any questions, email me, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at jfinning. Join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook group. And remember, I can't grow without you telling the world how good this show is. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together, and I will talk to you all next week. Shut up! Now it's stripping time. Ain't nobody got time for that.